Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue podcast. Still no baseball, but proposals are going back and forth and maybe we could see some a month from now. Maybe. I don't know. That seems like a tall task in a short period of time, but we're going to talk about it. My name is Frank Close. I'm joined by Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody. How are you guys doing? Watching a lot of the news. Yeah, we, we, we all better. Yeah, we all certainly are. And um, hopefully we could talk a little sports and, and try to hopefully we'll have something positive to talk about here um, in the wake of so much uh, not positive news out there. Um, but but there's a chance of baseball. I guess that's something positive, right? Something that we could turn to and, and get our minds off of all this. And, you know, I, I, I got to wonder, guys, if, if there were sports going on, would we feel a lot better right now? Mm, probably not. You know, two weeks ago, probably now, probably not. But, you know, three weeks from now, I think uh, hopefully we're we're a calmer as a country and we're, we're talking about, you know, some things like baseball again, not forgetting any of the issues that have led to what we're we're going through now, but also, you know, enjoying some baseball or any other kind of sport that might return. Uh, I still don't know, guy. I mean, I, I still I'm the type of person who and I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I expected at least two weeks of acrimony between the players and the owners before coming to an agreement. And I think we're in the heart of that right now. So I know every time something comes out, one of us three might be compelled to thinking there's just going to be no baseball. I still think what this needs is a deadline because that tends to get deals done and we'll see what happens. But right now it's kind of just open season for both sides to just take shots at the other. When I first saw the original MLB proposal, I thought that that was such a slap in the face, and it's so disrespectful, if you will. And then after that, you saw the players kind of bounce back, and I just think at this point there's so much pressure to get a deal done because the NHL and the NBA are starting to rock and roll a little bit that maybe the other leagues bouncing back is going to force baseball to come up with something even if – they're not super stoked about it or, or whatever the case may be. But the pressure, I think, is going to be big. How, how necessary is this to work? Like, like, like on a scale of one to ten, I'll start with you, Hunter. Like, does baseball have to make this work? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, I think they would because imagine not having a season while the NHL and NBA come back to have their postseason and you guys just didn't play because of money through a situation like this. I think that's the big key because they're fighting over the, the sense I think you have to, and imagine how much, I'm not going to say, I mean, I guess fans, I was, imagine how baseball would be viewed by anybody, whether you're a fan or not a fan, just viewed as a whole, if they weren't able to get the product on the field. I mean, I think that I would um, always watch baseball regardless, and I think that there's a, a built-in fandom, and, and I think all, all three of us are the type of people that probably would watch baseball no matter what was said or done or how many games were missed, but I do agree that not everybody is like that and baseball has lost viewership fanship over the last 20 or 30 years certainly the strike hurt them it took a steroid era to bring back some fans and i don't know that they're going to go down that road again so i do agree that baseball is in a tenuous situation here they really can't afford to tick off a lot of people at a moment like this and It'll be very I, – I, I find the cat and mouse game to be really interesting. You know, for example, the Nationals were going to make all these uh, minor league cuts and salary and things like that. Then, you know, all of a sudden on social media, you see that um, Lerner, one of their owners, is worth $5.4 billion. 
And then the Nationals players, major leaguers agree collectively. They're going to help the minor leaguers out with money. That makes the owners look bad. The owners come back. It's just a it's fascinating. It's like Joel Embiid and Joshua Harris. Yeah, it really is. So yeah, it's meanwhile, kind of the Nationals won the World Series and have all kinds of revenue that other teams don't. So I, exactly. that, that was really offensive to me that they weren't going to pay their minor leaguers. Let me let me ask you this on, on the original proposal by the owners. The one thing I have a difficult time wrapping my head around, other than the fact that it saves the owners a lot of money, is if baseball is going to be played, whether it's 40 or 50 games or 115 games, the wins and losses are going to be the result, as they always are, of the best players who play well for the team. So I was trying to figure out, other than using it as a divide-and-conquer strategy, which clearly didn't work, what the owners were thinking by having the most, the highest played players take the steepest pay cuts. Because at the end of the day, they still have to play baseball, and those games are still going to be decided by those upper echelon players, you know, your, your Garrett Coles and your Bryce Harpers. So why would they think that it's acceptable for them to take less money because they're the best players and most highest paid players that well, that almost contradicts what the game is all about. Well, what I want to know about that is what, who's that trying to help? I mean, think about the teams that have right. the highest paid players. They're always the powerhouse teams. So the Pittsburgh pirates don't have a $35 million player. That's going to all of a sudden make 6.8 million or whatever the heck the, the prorated thing was. So mm-hmm. they were basically only helping the bigger market teams. And that makes absolutely no sense. But what right? about this, this way to look at it? And I think the proposal was horrendous by the way, but you know, if, if 60% of the league is making a million dollars, let's say, or not anywhere close to the 35 million, they're getting way more of their contract. They're getting a way higher percent around that 90% area. So if 60% of the league is going to get 90% of their contract, when you look at it from that perspective, is is that what they were trying to do? Make the people ha- like higher percent of the players happy because they're getting a decent amount of their contract. It's well, a that's silly clearly, way to look at yeah, it, but I no, mean, that's clearly that's divide and conquer. Right. That was their way of hoping all of the minimally minimally paid players would revolt against the highest paid players and vote to pass it through, and then ha- there would be acrimony among. That was a total divide and conquer strategy that so far doesn't seem to have worked at all. Yeah, and, and a way of doing that, maybe they were trying to weaken the union for future negotiation, and I think that that that's a very, very difficult, uh, or, or maybe it's not a wise thing to do, and I, I know I've talked about this be- before on uh, 97.3, but uh, the reality is that the baseball is, has one of the stronger unions, and, and maybe that's why this might take a lot longer than the NHL or NBA, where there's there's perhaps more control from the ownership of the teams. So uh, I think I think the players, out of all of this, they want to make sure they they maintain their, their 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 spot at the table the way that they're used to. All right, so let's let's break down this proposal a little bit that came from uh, the players. All right, so again, they want to use their negotiating power from the union. Now, let's be clear about something. At the beginning of, of this shutdown on March 26th, Baseball Players Association agreed to play for a prorated salary equal to the number of games played. So in their estimation, they think they had it all worked out. The only reason why they're talking more now is baseball saying, well, we won't, we won't have the revenues. So baseball, because they did not think that maybe they'd be playing without fans, they did not anticipate that. Although I guess we, what, it's hard what did to we know on March 26th? <laughs> That's really um, hard to believe. They, they want to walk this back and have a new, another proposal. So their first proposal, just to, just, just to quick, quickly summarize it, 82 games, cutting the salaries of players, even 
further than their prorated amount. So they're getting half their salary and then even cut from that high, bigger, higher paid players, more cuts than the lower paid players. Uh, but baseball came, the baseball players association came back with a very different counteroffer. Uh, even though Max Scherzer suggested they weren't going to make one, they ultimately did make one and they seem to put this pro. Now here's something I found interesting. I, I just want to lay this out there first guys, their counter proposal just said, okay, well, we're keeping the agreement we made on March 26th. And do you think there's any chance that baseball will, will agree to their original agreement? No, but I think that there's maybe some things that you could take out of it, but I don't think that they are going to use this. I will say that this is a way better offer than whatever the owner sent the first time, but I still don't think that it's there because the big thing is the owners do not want to pay that original agreement that they made in March, and that's where you're starting. I mean, you're throwing that right in their face right off the jump, so right there, that throws up all the red flags. I just can't figure out why the owners agreed to it no, and wrote the language as if it was, um, you know, absolute for the for the summer or the season. And now all of a sudden have decided, as they say, that it would be more profitable just not to play baseball at all, which I don't believe for a second. And even if it were, I still think they're billionaires and they can afford the loss that the minimal loss that they would take. They can get loans. I mean. There's a, I can't support the owners in this. Well, I was going to say, are the owners claiming that they didn't factor in no fans? Is that what they are claiming, why the March contract will not work? That is what they are claiming. Well, then shame on them, because everybody in the world, even in March, was wondering about whether or not there would be fans at, or the ability for the NFL to have spring camps and OT. I mean, we've been talking about this for months and months. So if that's the owners were not factoring that in, in the initial um, round of negotiations, then shame on them. So baseball players association at this point, here's what they have to say. All right. So now they do give something back something, uh, but it's, it's not taking away. It's more that they're trying to add value. So here's the first thing that they, they, they want to propose. They want a 114 game season. So meaning they want about two thirds of the salary they agreed to. So, uh, baseball wanted half a season because there's there's less games to lose money, according to their theory. But they say, hey, we want at least two thirds. What do you think about that number? One fourteen, Jeff. Better than 40, to be honest with you. I mean, I think when we started talking about this uh, idea of a season around the shutdown, I think we all felt that in order for it to even fuel like a semblance of a season, it's got to be a, around 100 games. And we were talking about double headers and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, 40 games is not going to satisfy anybody. If, if it came down to that, I don't want baseball. I don't want well, 40 hold that. Games. Hold That's that thought. We'll get to their the, right, we'll the kind of proposal but later, but what about 114 would work for me? I, I again, I I've understood. And we've talked about this. You just have to adjust your expectations of what you normally want in a baseball season. And we'll have to do a lot of adjusting fanless and so forth and so on. But 114, I think can feel like a season. Now, let me ask you this, Hunter. Even if that goes into late October and November, are, are you good with 114? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the uh, the length of this season is, is much of an issue for me. But I actually think 114 might be a little much just because, well, I guess in your scenario you laid out, that means they're going to prolong the season and make it way longer. Because I was going to say, 
You know, 114 might seem like a lot, and they're going to try and put a lot of games in there, and then, well, Bryce Harper's not going to play all these games because he needs rest. And then if that's the case, then, yeah, the Phillies are on, but Bryce Harper, JT, and Andrew McCutcheon are sitting three times a week because there's 114 games, and they're trying to make it work. I mean, I I, I don't know. if I, I kind of like the 82 more than I like the 114. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I, Frank and Hunter. I, I, I was telling this to Frank. If if the idea was to start the postseason in November, I am a little bit worried about that. I mean, you have no idea where these postseason games are going to be played. Is that That's part of the original, the 114, right? That it ends October 31st and then the playoffs begin. It's cold. <laughs> it's cold well, up here in the You would think it would be maybe a neutral sighting in a dome. I mean, that's just the guess. Yeah, that's then like, I got that, no issue with it. Yeah, that wasn't really stated, but then maybe you have to go Arizona, Texas, Florida at that point. I mean, uh, uh, is that is that going to work? Is that the same? Like, I mean, will, will the revenues even be the same? Well, like, here's will... one thing that I think is, you know, if the NFL is starting to plan to have fans in the stadium, and the NBA is going to be having the NBA Finals at the same time as all this is happening in Orlando with no fans. The NHL is probably going to have no fans. Now, the baseball season is probably going to have no fans, but the NFL is going to have people in the stadiums. I mean, it's just going to be really weird to think about how all that plays out. If the NFL does have fans, they're just I planning think that for they're, it. Yeah, I think they're more planning for it and hoping for it, but also they've got their contingency plans in case it doesn't. Yeah, well, October 11th, I wanted to go out to Pittsburgh to watch the Eagles play. I, I, I really don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, uh, I mean, certainly I could drive across the state if I wanted to, but it seems like that's very ambitious to, Look, to get... everything the NFL has said to this point with Corona, they got it done and they made it work. So, and we'll know, I mean, I guess camp is a little bit different, but they're talking about maybe having camps, whatever the NFL says with this Corona stuff, it seemed to have worked. So if they're saying right now that fans are in play, I have a gut feeling that they're going to be in play. Who knows? Maybe they'll have the test that you walk up to the gate, they zap you. Oh, you you don't have coronavirus? Come on in. Like I, that would be wonderful. But that would be nice. <laughs> I don't know what we'll... type of zap it is. You know, it's like a shock yeah. collar, like my dog. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> hey, if we get to that point, you can, we could do about anything, right? I mean, we just. Yeah, I know a lot of Eagles fans will deal with a little shock just yeah. to be able to go watch. A, a I don't believe games. you. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking speaking of shocks and uncomfortable things and and illness. Now, uh, part of the baseball proposal from the Players Association was that high risk players can sit out the season with pay. Now, when you ask about high risk, uh, certainly there's been some players well documented, like John Lester has battled cancer. Um, Jake Diekman, the former Philly, has has dealt with with uh, major colitis issues and. Um, do, do you, is that a fair thing to do? Just say, all right, well, uh, you have to let the players that are at risk sit out. Yeah. But when you say that, does that, does that mean, what does that mean? Let them sit out. Do you pay them? Their they full would still salary get their salary. They... So it'd be like, be like the rest of the world. Like you can use a sick day if, if you're, if you're not able <laughs> a to sick come year? to work. <laughs> a sick year. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that. And I, and I'm not unsympathetic toward them. I understand that, um, if you have a health condition, you may not want to participate, but, but you yeah, I mean, you would be on the disabled list those... or injured lists, right? Yeah. But is it fair to those who, who may have similar health risks, but want to play and then do play. So I, those guys, obviously you're getting paid this money that, that you make because you're, and the reason why you're not accepting as a player, any further pay cuts is because you are assuming 100% of the health and safety risks, whereas the owners are not. They sit in a booth. They can distance. They don't have to go to the game. They don't have to be in front of the public. 
They don't have to do anything. They're owners. That's why there's no risk in it for them. So if you're saying the players are the ones assuming 100% of the risk, if you have a, 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 a section of players who don't want to play and don't want to assume that risk, I don't know if they should be compensated the same way the players who are assuming the risk should be. It seems inconsistent there. Yeah, I don't know if I would go full salary. Maybe part of their salary. I think to, to mm-hmm. an extent they should get paid because they're not allowed to play based off of health reasons. So, Like a workman's know. comp thing. Yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. Something like that. And then I wonder about... You know, not that this is uh, the right way to think, but people do think this way. You know, are there, are there loopholes? So if people are d- that don't have that much of a high risk, but they can maybe get away with saying that they do somehow so they don't have to play, but they get paid in full. I mean, people look for loopholes all the time, unemployment, things like that. I mean, will there be that type of version of this in this scenario? I don't know. I mean, people do have that mindset. I don't personally, but people do. Well, baseball's performance-based sports, so if they want to get paid later, I mean, they no, would probably want to play. No, I mean, you right. might have you're somebody right. at the end of their career yeah. that might want to sit out but here, here's another thing any player that chooses to can just take the year off no pay what do you think of that hunter yeah i mean that's fair with, with this type of scenario not everybody feels comfortable and that's fine if you're not comfortable don't worry about it we're not forcing you to play the only problem is if you're a player and i talk about the 60 percent that have low salary that means you're probably not a player that has uh you know a lot of uh uh, a lot of choices, if you will. So if you choose to sit out and you're a player that needs to perform, like you kind of said, it might actually bite you in the ass. Yeah. I mean, to me, that almost goes beyond the pandemic. If you're just a player and you have a year where you're like, I don't want to play baseball this year. I got something going on. If you, you want to do the Michael Jordan of baseball, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, take a sabbatical. I guess the only thing that you would have to work out is contract language, accrued season versus not accrued season for 10 and five. Was it 10 and five? Play 10, 10 years, five, five yeah. right? I mean, I think in this case, if a, if a player decided they did want to take the year off for health reasons and has some kind of um, pre-existing condition, then you would allow them to have that accrued year, even if they didn't play. I would be okay with that. Yeah, baseball. the Baseball Players Association is all about making sure they get their service time. So, right. all right. So here's another thing, too. So uh, they, they also want a second salary advance during the next spring training. Now, uh, back when they stopped, the part of that March 26th agreement was – Here's some money to front your salaries so that you can uh, you can pay your bills and, and live your life. And that money's kind of running out. So they want a second advance. Is that a fair thing to do? You mean an advance for, for when other they start salary. spring training? Yeah. Yeah. So when they once yeah, they so get started again, mind, just Yeah, in my mind, once you start spring training, which they'll probably need a few weeks of, you're working. I mean, you are starting to play baseball, you're warming up for baseball, you're practicing, you're, you're performing your professional responsibilities. So I don't know how it works with, with getting paid during the season, whether you get paid weekly, monthly, or, or whatever. But I do think, so they're asking not, not for even two weeks in, they want a little money up front to get started. I think that's, that's fair and reasonable, again, given all the health risks that they're, they're assuming. Yeah, I think for the players, for, this is one where, we think about the owners have to give a little and the players have to give a little. I think this leans or this is a situation where the owners should have to give a little and say, listen, all right, we'll give you a little bit of money up front and from there we'll, we'll move forward. So I think if you're looking at it as you got to give and take, this is one where the owners are going to have to give. I mean, if you're the owners, Frank, right, and you're, you feel like the plan that you have enacted, that you have put forth as far as health and safety measures is going to work and you're not worried about shutting down in two weeks or three weeks, because of some kind of, 
you know, everybody getting sick, if you're confident as you should be, you don't put this proposal forward. If you're not confident in it, then you should have no problem with paying the money that you're already expecting to paying them a little bit up front. You know, it's not like you're giving extra money. You're just giving money that you're already committing to them up front before they get started. So they I guess, I guess the one, one response the owners could have is that they don't have any revenue yet, but you know, here's the thing. I, I do want to talk about this before I talk about what the players are willing to do to add some revenue into the situation. These are multi-billion dollar businesses. Can't you take out a loan that you pay off over several years if you need to, or or when you get your revenue back? Like these these franchises increase in value every single year. So, Jeff, what do you think? Is is it worth just taking out a loan and biting the bullet? Mark Lerner, right? He's the Nationals co-owner, one of the owners. He's worth five point four billion dollars and he is one of a couple of owners so if you put all their money together it's probably eight to ten billion if not more so i'm not worried that these guys are going to be taking a major financial hit i know i get it they're good businessmen and that's how they became good businessmen but i'm just not worried about their funds (laughs) i'm really not well, this is probably too not even their. I mean, it's probably their major business. But how many other businesses do they have outside of this one as well? That's generating a lot of money. And you, you, this might even be the the tax write off for some of them. Honestly, I mean, they might actually have a bigger business than this, which is kind of hard to believe. But, um, right. but yeah, they have other revenue coming in, if you will. It's pretty much what I'm getting at. So, it is crazy to think that they are fighting over this. It really yeah. is. So basically what ends up happening is you are, you know, when you own the franchise, the it, it increases in value every year, right? So that's just the, the numbers are, are staggering into what type of growth these have every single year. So, so you might not, if you look at the balance sheet for one year, you might, it might show you lost money in any given year, but your franchise still became worth more money. So in a way, you profit by, you know, that's why a lot of people starting small businesses, they don't make any money the first few years, but their value of their business increased each year along mm-hmm. the way. All right. How about this? Uh, before we get into what the players are willing to do, let, let's take a quick break uh, and then we'll then we'll dig into what the, the players are willing to do. The players say, we want to help add revenue too. We understand you need some extra revenue. Here's how we're going to do it. We'll come back with that after this. Frank Close. Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. And welcome back to this edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We're talking about the proposals to return to baseball. And as we get back from the break, I wanted to uh, pull up some numbers here. I was looking forward while we were while we were talking before, but I have this sports management textbook I use sometimes when I teach sports management classes. Uh, the average growth rate, right? For a major league franchise from 1991 until 2017. Okay, so this is the sample size that, that this book I have here looks at. 10.7% average annual growth rate in the value of a major league baseball franchise. So think about that. So if that number holds true this year, if, if they're selling for $2 billion right now, even some of the not, so you're talking $200 million is it's going to grow in value this year, no matter what. I think they can take a loan. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, how many players have access to the same data that you have, except more so because they have agents and they've got all sorts of connected 
you know, money bean counters and num- number crunchers who tell the players that there isn't a single reason that they should take a single cent less than what they've already agreed to, which is, uh, you know, I think the more unfortunate thing is that the players are the ones who always have the microphones in front of their face and have to talk and owners very rarely do. So I always say when you get mad about something that Garrett Cole or Bryce Harper or um, Blake Snell says, imagine if you had access to the private conversations that take place on the phones or in the in the halls of ownership, right? I mean, you would be doubly offended by the things owners say. It's just that they don't have the microphones in front of their face all the time. Yeah, absolutely. The the one thing I want to say, though, and I don't want it to make it seem like I'm pro-owners because I am pro-players, but I just think during a time like this, the players are just assuming that, you know, like they deserve all of this money due to this time to to a degree. And I just feel like this is how normal businesses operate. Like the owners are going to come out on top over any of their employees in any single business. And that's the reason why they're successful. So I just look at it like, yeah, the you know what? The owners are going to come out on top over the players. You need to know that going in because that's any business, any business. And I just think the players to a degree, they think like they deserve more than the owners and they deserve this and that. And I, and I don't think that they do. Like, I, I think the owners deserve more because that's the power of owning a business. You know, I would say I would challenge the whole any business kind of comparison, though, because sports are really the only businesses we pay attention to that there's a collectively bargained agreement between the ownership and the employees. Like you and I, when we go to our jobs, we didn't sit down. We may have negotiated salaries at some point, but we literally did not have a multi-page document explaining what we're allowed to do versus what they're allowed Frank, to do Frank and how much of their money. Of no, no, no. <laughs> there's there's no dividing of a pot. There's just what you're going to get paid and that's your negotiation. So it's a little bit different. I think we can't compare it, but I, I understand what you're saying that uh, it's not incumbent upon the owners to just completely, you know, surrender the fort and say, okay. Yeah, like the you owners, want both sides to be reasonable. Right. The owners are going to come out on top. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, they are. I mean, that's what the owners do, and that's why they have the most power, because it's their business. So I, I don't think it's ridiculous to think that the owners can come out on top. It's just to what level, you know? And, and I think that's the argument. But I feel as if some of these players feel so entitled that – they kind of bother me a little bit, and that's why people think I'm pro-owners, but I'm not because I definitely am pro-players. It's just to what level. I think some players go too far with the extreme. That's all. Well, Maybe a little tone-deaf sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, at least for the Phillies, John Middleton was one of the first owners to, to tell his employees not to worry they're going to be paid for the season, and and I know employees uh, of the team have expressed how grateful they are to that, and let's face it, a lot of people aren't getting checks right now, and and – that's that is one thing to acknowledge, I guess, that that at least locally, I, I you know, we, we mentioned the Nationals uh, having to walk back their bad decision not to pay their minor leaguers. But um, well, how about the Angels? Right. I mean, they, yeah. they are deplorable for what they're doing. I mean, that guy is one of the wealthiest owners in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Arte Moreno is Arte one of Moreno. the wealthiest owners in, in, or one of the wealthiest people in the world, basically. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so um, so at least at least in Philadelphia, we see John Middleton taking good care of. of, of What's the, the, the game plan, employees. by the way? Are just teams not going to have minor leagues like if they did not pay their minor leaguers, they just don't have a system. They just don't have it. They don't have a job either. The players. So now yeah, I mean, we, I, I guess my uh, I don't want to be the guy. This dude is just screaming. Around, but I just think about it. like if they're not going to play, do you pay them? Well, here's the thing. So you have some minor leaguers that are prospects. 
that you want to keep in your system and you want to keep be able to move them along. And let's be honest, some some minor leaguers are just inventory. And I and, and if you, if you think about it from a strict business viewpoint, they're going to say, all right, this particular player is there to to fill in third base. He's not a prospect. He's just a double A, and he's there to 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 catch the ball and throw to first. And when that's over with, whenever we have a better prospect, he's he's out, right? So, so, so unfortunately, some of those types of players have been straight discarded by their teams and released by their teams, even the ones that are paying their minor leaguers. So, I just like uh, to look at it from all avenues, you know, and I think of it with hockey. Like, there's the NHL, the AHL, and the East Coast. And the East Coast Hockey League is going through a very similar fight with uh, not being paid when the season was cut, but they make about the same as minor leaguers do. And they're, they're starting this big protest about wanting to get paid this money. And it's just like... To me, that doesn't make sense, and and they're screaming that the NHL should pay them, but I'm like, why should they pay you? I mean, you're not playing any more well, games, and well, I let me ask you, let me, it's like let that. me, I, and I don't know if I have enough of an understanding situation, but let's say you are a top prospect, you know, let's say you're Alec Bohm, okay, um, or or Spencer Howard for a different team, and the team says we're not paying minor leaguers, they're under a contract, yeah, so somewhere on the if they're not getting. Roster. If they're not getting paid and they're getting released, fine, because then they have an opportunity to find a job somewhere else. But I think if you're under a contract, you have to be paid, even if you're not playing or else you have to be released because then somebody else might be willing to pay you, even if you're not going to play. OK, that's fair. Right. That is that's totally a, fair. That's, that's an excellent point. And I, yeah. I think that's one thing that some have some have said, well, you know, they're still you still the rights still belong to the major league teams. Well, because I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that though. at all. There's plenty right. of MLB players right now that have contracts that are not getting paid because they play or because they're not playing. Excuse me. So those MLB players are not getting paid because they're not playing. So isn't that the same thing with this Bohm and Spencer Howard comparison? Since they're not playing, they're not getting paid. But the difference is there's no avenue for them to play at all, which would be what we need to figure out from this point. Right. And then, forward. and then let's, mm-hmm. and my, my take is if you feel like you need to keep the ones that you want to use later because they're prospects, then you, you got to treat everybody equally. You know, I mean, even, even if someone's a prospect at, at single a uh, Clearwater, um, we don't know if that player is going to make it or not. And, and, and you know what, you might, you might, you might end up losing some that, that do something somewhere else. And you, one, one other thing to think about as we, as we look at a lot of this is if teams are massively releasing players, some teams with more money are going to snatch up some of those players and, exactly. and they're going to reap the rewards <laughs> yeah. later. Is all right, there so a team, Frank, I'm sorry, real quick. Is there a yeah. team that released all of its minor leaguers, including, Top forty guys who are not with the major anybody, league club. No, I don't think anybody released everybody, but um, okay. but, but there there have been massive amounts of released players. Uh, that right. that now, now the Phillies released one. It was uh, T.J. Rivera. He was a uh, kind of the minor league free agent type that that has a shot at a major league. You know, who, who would go to camp. He didn't really play in spring training one. So mm-hmm. I think someone like him, it's more like, okay, well, maybe you can latch on before spring training too, somewhere else and you get a job. But, right. but yeah, some teams just, just, just release dozens and dozens of players. All right. So let's talk about how the, the players want to uh, add some revenue back. All right. So now the first one I think is, is pretty interesting here because they're saying they're willing to have two years of expanded playoffs, not just 2020. So if you remember from earlier proposals, they were going to add playoff teams and there would be four wild cards. And, and the idea behind that was in a way, a shorter season, you know, teams can't really reach their peak. As I, as I pointed out um, with Mike Gill last week, that the Washington nationals would not have made the playoffs even under that, um, 
that that model last year if 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 you got to 82 and the season was over and of course the washington nationals win the world series so but I, the idea behind the expanded pl- playoffs generally is revenue right so uh, if you have more playoffs that means more money and that will make up for some of it so the the players are saying look we'll do it this year and we'll do it next year what do you think about that jeff it sounds like it's it's a concession i mean uh, i mean doubly so because obviously if you're playing more playoff games you're getting paid more so it's not like uh you know <laughs> it's not like they're giving up a lot but not every team makes the playoffs and so uh, if it helps kickstart talks and and brings everybody closer i can't imagine why the owners wouldn't want that do you think that this more, is something more. that was going to happen anyway though it's almost probably like, hey listen <laughs> we'll throw this in there to make it look like we'll beef it up but we're doing but, it anyway but it wasn't going to happen without a fight. So if you can get the fight over with now, you know, then it's done. And how about this, guys? My, my opinion is that this will never, ever go away. If they agree to it for two years, I think it's here for 22 years. Exactly. Anything. And that's why I think when they, you know, them adding that second year is almost kind of like nothing when I read this. Because they know if they did it for one year, it was going to work because it would it would generate more money. And players get a better chance of making the playoffs. So, people might look at that as like, oh, look what they're offering. I kind of see it as, well, that's just kind of them trying to make it look beefier than what it really is because this was going to happen anyway. All right, how about the second uh, concession? Players are willing to defer up to $100 million in salaries with interest. That's total, by the way. I, I, I'd like, I look at this with just different eyes, I feel, than most people because I think that you know, they're looking at this deferred money because they want the same amount of money that they were owed with that contract in March. That They just want the deferred money, so then they still get the same amount. It's just over a certain amount of years. But the owners are looking at this as, this is a lost year. We are not getting that money that you want to be paid this year. So you are not going to be getting that money, no matter if you want it over a certain amount of time or not. We are not getting that this year. So we cannot pay you that. And that's the way that they're going to counter the deferred money, I bet. Yeah, but you you would have to believe that. And so, again, do you believe the owners are going to lose? Do you believe the owners are not going to make money off this year? I have a hard time feeling that with TV rights and especially throughout the postseason, all eyes back on sports that even in fanless environments that they're going to lose total profits. And again, it goes back to the fact that they can withstand the loss. And I think the deferment helps them in that, as as Frank is pointing out, the value of the franchise increases year after year after year. So owing them X amount of dollars this year compared to what next year, the year after the year after, it's almost like, you know, the way salary cap rises in football and then those salaries take up less and less of a percentage of the cap. So it's actually, I think, a decent idea on the players, yes, to still get their money, to delay how quickly they get it, but to also mitigate the percentage of their hit against the team profits for year on a year-to-year basis. No, I get that. Go ahead, Frank. I, no, I'm just thinking, like, I, I think that number is going to go up in deferral if, if they come to an agreement. Like, $100 million, that's not even, like, the payroll of a low-revenue Pittsburgh Pirates, right? I mean, that's that's like one-fiftieth of the total salary in the entire entire league. I, I don't know that that's enough if you're saying, all right, that's like, what's that, on average, $3.3 million per team? <laughs> right. It's really 
Exactly. And, and that's a bit, yeah, that's a big part of what I was looking at. It's like, all right, that deferred money isn't anything crazy, but you know, I just, you're Jeff, are they going to make more money than what they're going to tell people? Absolutely. I mean, the owners are going to try and sabotage this, but I just, I'm looking at the way that they're going to attack it and they do not want to pay whatever they signed in March. So if the players are going to come out and say, we want that, if it's deferred, we want it. I, they are going to make a stand and say, we will not be paying you what you signed in March. And I think they're going to put their foot down on that. So that's why I look at that and go, I, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I still, it comes back to me is why did you sign it if you were unwilling to pay it? Because that makes you look as unscrupulous. There's already tension between players and owners, and that goes beyond baseball. That's in the NFL, it's in any league, just like in any corporate environment. A lot of people don't trust their CEOs that they work for that they're doing the best for the employees. So it's always exacerbated in sports because there's so much money involved and so much media attention. So why the owners would try to pull a power play of that uh, magnitude when there's already such distrust to me doesn't make sense. So I, I really don't get it. I, I'd be very surprised if the owner's collective belief is that what they signed in March really is non-binding and doesn't mean anything. There's got to be something that we just don't know. You know, there's got to be something because you're right. It doesn't make sense. So, and we don't have all the information. So, I mean, there, there has to be something. All right, one last thing. I, a couple other things to add. The players are willing to do. They're willing to have broadcast enhancements. Uh, they think that they have live mics on players that will add revenue. I'm not sure about that, but here's the big one. Home run derby and all-star game after the season. Would you be up for a Christmas time all-star game and home run derby? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't oh, see the. No. I, I don't see how it would be a negative thing. I mean, if, if I think people would tune in to a degree. It depends what else is going on. If there's a football game on at one o'clock, are people going to watch the MLB All Star Game? Probably not. And I don't gotta think wait, that gotta they wait would, till the bowl games are over. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they. Uh, but I don't think it's a horrendous idea. I mean, if 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 it's everyone likes the All Star Game, you could argue that it might be the best All Star Game of them all because it's like actually like a game. So I mean, I don't think it's the worst thing ever. I don't think it's a horrendous idea, but I think it's one notch above maybe a horrendous idea only because I, I and Hunter, you just said it like in November and December, in the middle of football season in the middle of maybe the NBA season starting up again. Like, when are you having this? You can't have it on Saturday because it's college football. You can't have it on Sunday. NFL football. You're not having it Monday night, Monday night football. You're not having it Thursday night, Thursday night football. There's, so Tuesday. You're, you're literally <laughs> trying Hawaii. to like sandwich a meaningless exhibition. Like not a lot of people watch the World Baseball Classic. I like it, but it's not a big revenue generator, I wouldn't think, for American baseball. So not in I the just, U.S. Not in the U.S., right? So I just I, I don't see this thing getting pulled off and as a as a as a sweetener in a deal. If I'm the owners, I'm like How's that doing for me? You know, I just don't think it's good. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the owners, there's new report from Jeff Passan of ESPN, which kind of has another strategy the owners may employ. It's not a counter proposal, but let's talk about that next after this. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. And we are back with the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We have one more thing to talk about regarding the resumption of play, and that is a report that came from Jeff Passan of ESPN.com. And listen, this one's a little bit troubling. And now let's let's preface this by saying that that this is kind of a last resort that the owners are kind of looking at. But we mentioned the proposal that was accepted by the players on March 26th that 
they would be paid for a prorated number of games played. Well, how about this? If baseball waits until August and they play in August and September and then the playoffs as usual, they don't need to make any more agreements. MLB can just say, let's go. And that the end result of that is a 40 to 50 game schedule. Yeah, okay. So this is Jeff Passon's words on ESPN.com. He says, although MLB does not intend to propose this to the players, the possibility of implementing a schedule of around 50 games that would start in July, well, that's I don't, only 50, uh, has been considered by the league as a last resort in the event the parties can't come to a deal. And that would work according to the March 26th agreement. So, so the players agree to that already? They, no, no, no. So basically, oh, they, in the March 26th agreement, yeah, they so agreed they, that this would be the last resort? Well, no, they, they agreed to play for the prorated amount. So baseball right. will just say, all right, we're opening up, and here's going to be a 40 to 50 game schedule. Right. But this is so this would get the players what the percentage of the prorated salary, salary was in March 26, just in a shorter amount of game span. Right. So, they, mm-hmm. so you know, essentially, they would play like a third of a season or even, or even less. And, yep, they'll get paid exactly like they said they would on March 26th. So is this a good thing for the players? Is this worth it to wait out for this to happen if they're getting their prorated that they wanted in March? I think the question is, is this is a good thing for the owners. I mean, if they're going to have to pay the money anyway, why are they trying to do it in a 40-game schedule that's well, going to be here's completely disinteresting to if, everyone? If you're total payroll for the if, – if you're the owners and you really believe you're going to lose a lot of money by playing games, this just cuts down on the loss. So – so instead of paying uh, Mike Trout $35 million, you're paying him $10 million. And, mm-hmm. and maybe you just feel like, all right, this is the way to cut my losses. I just We just won't play a lot of games. If they, their argument right now is that the more we play, the more we're going to lose. So if they, they, they feel almost... They haven't thought that, that through. What's that? I'm telling you. They're, I mean, they're, I know they're smart people. They're not thinking this through. They, I mean, do, you, do they really understand how boring, how disinterested... Not only the players would be, but the fans would be. How detrimental to the sport. That's a baseball tournament, 40 games. And yeah, I'm but hear me out. I mean, if, if no, listen, I, I get it because I love baseball like you. I won 162. People want it to go backwards. I want 350 games a year. You know, I want to <laughs> double it. But, um, you know, when it comes to this scenario, would 40 or 50 games be maybe better than having 114 where it seems drawn out. I mean, everyone always complains that it seems like there's so many games. Maybe 40, 50 people might be more interested because it's a sprint during these times. I'm not saying full-time, but... but... Right. I I, I don't know if you're just trying to see the other side or be devil's advocate, but I always thought the beauty of of baseball... I always thought the beauty of baseball was that it was not a sprint, that it is a marathon. We talk about the Nationals getting their they're charged late. I mean, to me, 40 games, 50 games is like a tournament and I'm not interested in a baseball tournament. I'm just so, not. Now, so maybe some people will, Hunter. You know, here's you, you how might be right, but I'm just is, not. Here's how baseball is justifying this. So in the March agreement, it says the commissioner has the right to deliver a schedule after good faith discussions between the league and the union. <laughs> so here's, here's, Are these here's, considered good faith discussions that right. have gone on so far. <laughs> well, that's debatable. Here, here's what it says. It says by entering into this agreement, the office of the commissioner, the players association, the clubs and players recognize that each of the parties shall work in good faith to as soon as it is practicable, commence play and complete the fullest 2020 championship season and postseason that is economically feasible. So that last line there, 
that is economically feasible. That is the issue of debate mm. right now. So they can just basically, if this goes into August, the end of August, they can just say, all right, we're opening up. So who would this benefit? If that if that was the case, who benefits from this the most? The owners? <laughs> the I don't owners think anybody benefits paying from the this. maximum amount of money, but I agree. Nobody but, benefits. But I don't think and the by the way, I think, I think the players would be like, okay, we're going to dress up, and then all the big-time players would go over to the, the manager and say, you know what, I, I, I pulled my hammy. I'm just not feeling it today. <laughs> I'm going to need like three or four days. I'm telling you there would be a player revolt that – the owners aren't thinking about, or maybe they are and they just don't care, but it would just be a stain on the sport. I'm well, telling this is where I feel. I'm a, I'm a little confused, though, because if they're going to get the money that they signed for on that March 26th, that prorated amount, are the players pissed off because yes, of because the amount of games being played isn't enough to satisfy them with that prorated amount? They're going to view this, in my opinion, as the owners just ironclad slamming their fist down saying, forget it. If we can't come to an agreement, we're just doing the least amount for everybody possible and we're going to threaten the integrity of the sport and that's how it's going to go. And I think the players are going to get really mad and find every loophole possible to make the owners look bad while they lag through a 40-game season that nobody cares about. Well, here here are some speak. So two players spoke to Jesse Rogers of ESPN uh, off the record. And here's what they're saying right now. They're saying, well, a shorter season like that and 25% of their full salary for 25% of a full season length. I don't want to risk an arm injury that hurts me in future years. Mm-hmm. You know, what if I had, what if I hit 180 in 40 to 50 games, you know, like people have little str- you know, little stretches like that throughout the season, even the best players. Yeah, how about free agents like Mookie Betts, right? <laughs> yeah. What if, what if he just slumps a little bit and getting used to his new teammates and, um, they don't that that could be dangerous <laughs> for, for the future. Can you say that about any year, though? Like, I don't know if I like that argument. I mean, you can it's, have uh, a bad listen, year. Listen, though, but you got to remember, I think that the players are also thinking of next year and next year's free agency. They know that in as, as Frank is mentioning, there's a, a much better chance of 40 games not telling a type of player what they are as 110. Yeah, games, but right? imagine and, why can't he bat 480? What if he bats 480 and then he gets a big time deal? I mean, that's a way to look at it. That's fair. It's fair. I just, I I, I don't. Andrew Knapp signs a hundred million dollar deal next year after batting (laughs) 580. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I I don't know. I just think that they're, they're going to think the owners are doing this to start the collusion for the following season. Yeah, that's this. This is this is uh, some real concerns, and and you know, what if you, let's just think about the Phillies for a second. If you're Andrew McCutcheon, you know you're coming off an ACL injury. We know that the you know there's it's scary, right, to come back from an injury like that. You don't know how much weight to put on it. You don't know how to how to make the turns on the base pass. Maybe someone like him just says, "Well, I don't want to." Gosh, if I you know, I'll, I'll put it on the line for a full season. But what if? You know, what if I get hurt again in this little short season? Then that screws me up for the last year of my deal with the Phillies. So. Um, this is this is uh this is. I think I'm the bad risky. guy today. Well, you're always the bad you wear guy. It well. I know. You wear it well. Well, I just I like to look at it from all the different avenues. People like and look, like for the bad guy angle. Well, sure. I mean, sure. That's a way <laughs> to look at it, though. But that's the thing, right? Like, if I look at it from an owner's perspective, I'm automatically pro owner. I'm not pro owner at all. I actually really am pro player. But I think to an extent, sometimes the players go a little too far. I think the owners go too far. I mean, I just. I think it's fair to look at it from all angles, though, because that's how you have to assess the situation. All right. So let's, let's, how about how about this? We've only got a couple of minutes left. What are the odds that this 114 proposal is oh, and, the, and 
baseball throwing back this 40, 50. You know, now, again, this was not a proposal. They're just kind of leaking this to the media, right? Like that seems to be how they're negotiating sometimes. But is this a way of just trying to get them to meet in the middle where they just say, like, look, fine, 100 games, deferred money, um, maybe 100 games, deferred money, and, you know, <laughs> we're not going to cut your salaries. Yeah. So my, my final thought on this is, A, and I, I'll repeat what I said earlier, the commissioner has to impose a deadline or else this thing will never happen. There has to be a deadline made so that both sides come together. I think if there is one made, then there will be a rush for the both sides to figure out an agreement that is some kind of happy medium between 40 to 50 games and 114. And I agree. They'll, some of it, there'll be some deferred payments. There'll be some concessions here. There'll be some concessions there, the playoffs and whatnot. But I don't think it happens if someone doesn't impose an, a concrete deadline soon. Yeah, the deadline's big. And, and I also mentioned this from the top, too. The pressure of the other leagues might come into play as well because it would just be a really bad look if other teams or other leagues are starting to kick back while they're saying, ah, we're going to fight. And I think also, I'm not a, a huge MLS guy, but I believe the MLS is going through something very similar right now with the ownership and, and the players not getting paid. It's just a, it's a really ugly look when people are trying to get their product back on the field. So I think it's funny that the owners originally threw out 82, and then the players won 114, and then this MLB option is 50. It's, it's going to be 82 if, if we're going to play. like If, if it's going to go back and play the middle, it's probably going to end up being the original game amount that the owners offered in the beginning, which I think is fair with how much time is left, that 82 range. Anything above 100, I think you're pushing it with the players. We talk about injuries and all that. I mean, that's throwing a lot of games out there. I like the 82 range, but it's probably going to be a little bit more time, but with the pressure of other leagues, I think it will have to get done, and they know that. Well, gentlemen, I think we're out of time, but uh, I think this is going to move quickly. I think uh, by the time we uh, we talk next week, there'll be at least a lot more negotiating if we don't have an agreement. Uh, but I can't imagine this goes much longer uh, than than another week or two. Even if there's a no firm deadline, Jeff, I, I think we're we got to be getting to, towards the end, right? I hope so, man. I really do. And then we can talk about baseball on this podcast. Imagine that. <laughs> we did the first episode. I think we were talking about some spring training. And, and Jake Arrieta, I think, had the shoulder injury. Yeah, we, a- we actually talked about baseball for like the first episode or two. Hard well, to believe. looking forward to that, guys. But for now, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody, this is the Powder Blue Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hunter, real quick, how do you, how do you listen to us? Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any podcasting platform, the Powder Blue Podcast. Stay safe, everyone.